Hi, I'm Danny. And I'm Nicole. Welcome to the Spend Culture Stories podcast, where we explore the connection between company spending and culture. Join us as we dive deep into understanding the people, processes, and tools that make up spend as a whole, or what we call spend culture. Welcome to the Spend Culture Stories podcast. My name is Nicole, and today we are speaking with Robert DeBacco, the COO and CFO of Arizona Charter Schools Association. Welcome, Robert. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Thank you, guys. Of course. Um, So let's just start things off by getting to know you a little bit. Um, Maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself and your role at Arizona Charter Schools. Sure. Well, as you mentioned, I'm the Chief Operating and Financial Officer at the Arizona Charter Schools Association. We're an organization of about 20 employees that oversees all of the public charter schools in the state of Arizona. We are a private nonprofit organization, though we work with public charter schools. We're not a public entity ourselves. Now, a little bit about me personally. I've been the COO, CFO here for the past eight years, and prior to that, I was involved in the independent school space. And then prior to my involvement with independent schools, um, I worked with international schools around the world and also have a finance background, having been a bond underwriter with Travelers Insurance Group. So I've kind of combined a lot of my financial experience with education experience and woven that into the past eight years as my role here as the COO, CFO of this organization. That's awesome. It sounds like you've had a lot of well-rounded experience that's kind of brought you to where you are today. Yes, it's been kind of a roundabout way of getting here, but uh, I am here. And yeah. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's been a useful um, process that we've gone through to help this organization evolve. That's great. So maybe tell us one thing that people might be surprised to know about you. On the personal side or professional side, which is the, uh, the tone of the question? Whatever comes to mind first for you. <laughs> Something people don't know about me. Well, I mean, my long life dream was to be an actor at one point in my life. Um, oh, wow. Not a financial executive, but <laughs> quickly, you know, let go of that dream as uh, travel and education passion kind of crept into my life. So that's kind of a little unknown tidbit about myself personally. On the professional side, I guess something people don't know about me is I don't have all the answers. As the COO, CFO of this role here, people come to me on a daily basis expecting me to have all the answers for them. And uh, surprisingly, I don't, but I don't think anyone does. We just try to work with smart people and figure it out. People don't always understand that about me and, uh, and especially my role since I'm always known as the chief fix-it officer. Yeah, no, that's something I've learned as well throughout my life is that all of us are kind of just figuring it out as we go. But I think that the more smart people you connect yourself with, the more that you gain that knowledge as well. Yeah, absolutely. So in your professional life, you've traveled and worked in some really cool places. Where's the most memorable place that you've been and what did you learn from that experience? So I think the most memorable place for a variety of reasons was the time that I spent living and doing business down in Chile. And the reason that it's memorable, well, I mean, on the personal side, first, I I met my wife down there. So that is probably uh, a good thing to say if she ever listens to this podcast. (laughs) But on the professional side of things, it's just a challenging environment to do business in. Having grown up in North America, you know, you really learn to appreciate contracts and and bonds that you um, or that people communicate to you verbally. And you expect them to follow through with that. But that's not really how business gets done in Latin America. It's very much more relationship-based. And trust is only built through those relationships, not what's written down on paper. Mm -hmm. And it's just a very different way of navigating the business environment. 
And you throw into the mix, not speaking the language at first. I mean, I've since become fluent in Spanish, and that was a wonderful experience in itself. But trying to cross those cultural barriers as well and understanding how they do business and, and the way of life down there was not only professionally challenging, it was also personally challenging, but I think that the rewards paid great dividends for having that experience. That's amazing. I, like you said, something that we kind of take for granted here is that there are systems in place and kind of a mutual understanding of how business works. But I feel like that would be great experience even to bring back here and know how to build those relationships and take your business to a different kind of level. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's been very helpful in, in, in everything that I've done since. You know, and I wouldn't trade that experience that I had down in Latin America for anything, really, because it was such a, an incredible learning experience. You know, not only you get to appreciate some of the processes and systems that we have in place here, but, you know, there's just some great memories that, uh, and, and friendships and relationships that were created down there that still are strong till this day. So I think that says a lot about how they actually do business. So it's just different style, that's all. It's not positive or negative. It just, it takes a while to understand what's important and how that stuff could, or how you can actually get things done. Absolutely. Now, how does juggling the dual role of CFO and COO impact the way that you view and manage your spend culture? Well, that's a good question. I think the easiest way to answer that is, is kind of understanding how we operate here. And the reason that it's kind of a dual title role is number one, we're a smaller staff. We only have 20 employees. But number two, there's just so much on the day-to-day basis that needs to get done that you need some operating experience with financial experience. And so it's kind of an all-encompassing role. And that is just how the title has developed over time. On some days, I am the IT person, the facilities person, janitorial staff. It just really depends on the day. But related more to our spend culture is that people really have an understanding that I can get things done and fix things. And on the financial side, they trust that I'm doing what's best for the organization. And they know that I am the one central location that they can come to for those types of approvals. And so because the role is so encompassing, people know exactly what the procedures are for any type of spend that they, they need to complete. I guess that's the easiest way to describe it, that people feel comfortable in, in what the process is. But that may be a factor of there's very few layers here. We're a very flat organization. And mm-hmm. so that assists us in understanding what the spends are. Mm-hmm. And I also will say that the spend culture here is really related to our mission. People have a good sense of every dollar that we save goes towards our mission of helping students improve their achievement. They also understand that we have limited resources being a a nonprofit and people treat money like it's their own and they know that anything left over goes to supporting the mission, which is key for us. Yeah, that's amazing. And it's gotta feel good to know that you're giving back and to be able to see your money uh, go into the organization in ways like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that our staff greatly appreciate that as well. I worked in for-profit world before, and it's just a very different mentality because our staff know that any money left over goes to fund some of our mission for the upcoming month or upcoming year, whatever the, the resources may be. But they have a genuine appreciation for that. Mm-hmm. And transparency on the financial aspect is very important to them because they see where money gets spent and money that isn't spent towards the mission, people start asking questions about that. So that's how we hold ourselves accountable. Yeah, so having visibility into that spend and 
understanding, you know, like you said, where those resources are being allocated to sounds like it's something that's really important in kind of guiding how you guys operate. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and sometimes that's, that's my role to connect a lot of those dots because I'm trying to think not only one month or one year, but multiple years out. Absolutely. So looking into that and, and how you um, have the responsibilities of how you're spending your money, what are some of the day-to-day challenges that you face on the financial side of the business? Well, the primary challenge that we face as a nonprofit is the scarce resources that are available. You know, having to rely on philanthropic dollars that are finite, of course. We don't always have dollars flowing in. So one of the focus on the financial side has been to try to diversify some of our revenue sources. And we've actually been successful here doing that because philanthropy is is quite scarce. And so only about 20% of our budget comes from philanthropic sources. The remaining 80% come from programs that we've developed in-house that are fee-for-service in addition to other types of revenue that we generate from events, or we're also a membership organization. So, so schools that work with us uh, contribute to the organization on a, on a membership basis. But that's all of the dollars that we consider earned revenue. But the challenge is, is making sure that that revenue continues year after year. And so even though we're a nonprofit, we really have to focus on the impact and customer service because we treat our schools like they're our customers and they're the ones that are paying for our services. So trying to balance the business aspects of what we do with the nonprofit mission is really some of the challenges that we face. More on the financial side is that some of the challenges are competing resources. And what I mean by that is some of my staff want to spend in a particular direction and some of the other staff want to go in a different direction and trying to balance and identify what the actual financial implications of some of their decisions are is a challenge for us because we don't necessarily have a financially minded staff because they come from the academic environment. And so there needs to be a lot of training and that's why I believe in transparency on our finances so that they can understand what position we're in so that they can be better stewards of those dollars and also it helps us in in allocation of those scarce resources. Definitely. Now, kind of knowing that you're having to plan far in advance a lot of times with these scarce resources, how do you go about tracking your spending? So tracking our spending is a little bit primitive here in the sense that we still use a lot of expense reports and and approval mechanisms. Now, most of that I'm the clearinghouse for, so it's, it's pretty easy to control that everything comes through me. Now, you know, one of the things that we're trying to identify is, is how big our staff needs to be. And so as we continue to grow, we need to keep analyzing if these processes that we have in place can scale with us. Now, we're not going to scale to 50 to 100 employees anytime soon. So there's, there's not a huge rush there. But, you know, the current controls we have in place for approvals are, are quite simple. Anytime a staff member, you know, needs to spend any amount, you know, they need approval. And, you know, there's course, you know, a couple hundred dollar threshold for that and some other levels within the organization. But because we're so flat, you know, staff members feel comfortable coming to me for, for really any level of approval. And that's for, for minor day-to-day type of operational things. For greater purchases, anything greater than, you know, $5,000 that hasn't been included in our original budget for the year, we actually need to go to our board of directors for approval. Because in the nonprofit world, not sticking to your budget is a very serious offense. So there's these checks and balances in place with our board that really make us a lot more accountable for the funds. And so that's why those types of thresholds exist for us. 
Absolutely. And I think that accountability piece is huge, especially, like you said, being a nonprofit. Now, in the larger schools that you've worked with, how would they scale their spend processes? Or how would you see yourself scaling if you were to grow to that size? That's when more technology helps using a platform that can help you. That's really the most efficient and effective way, not only to increase accountability, but the effectiveness of your processes is, is much improved with uh, technological solutions. So that's what I recommend to our schools is having one system, if possible, to track all of your spends and ask for all of these approvals, especially because a lot of our schools and some of the larger ones have multiple layers and multiple decision makers. And so when you look at it from a school's perspective, you know, you have teachers at one level that know the amount of resources that they want to spend. And then the medium level there is um, administrators that are trying to control the budget for the entire school. And then you may have another top level, which is a district office that manages the budgets for multiple schools. And so it's important to have these approvals in place so that resources get allocated appropriately. And again, they have the same issues that we do in trying to make sure that they accomplish their mission. And the more dollars that they save and that are careful with, the more dollars that go into the classroom to better serve students. And that is the ultimate mission of, of any school and our organization as well is to make sure that students are being served well. Yeah, absolutely. You made a good point as those levels become deeper, more people are involved. It's trying to track those things. Technology is obviously the best way to go about that. I mean, Excel spreadsheets can only get you so far sometimes. Yeah, I mean, there's also a familiarity with, with Excel for, for some of the staff that are academics. They don't even necessarily have a great familiarity with that. But, you know, a lot of teachers and, and other staff members are quite familiar with different technological solutions. So if, if that's much easier and uh, there's more engagement from some of those tech solutions, then the better chance that they're going to adhere to some of those policies that you create. Definitely. Yeah. Having something that's usable by everyone. And um, I think definitely makes those things a lot easier. Yeah. And from a personal level, I mean, I prefer that someone else manages that in the cloud for me than me having to create another spreadsheet with locked cells and, uh, you know, different formulas. I mean, it's much easier if someone else does it for you <laughs> and keeps it updated at the same time. <laughs> I can definitely relate. Anything that I can outsource and not have to be responsible for sounds good to me. Exactly. Now, being the financial head of a charter school association, what are some of the fundamental differences in financial operations that differ from public schools? I think that the major difference is the accountability aspect. And what I mean by that is that charter schools have much more freedom to implement systems that they see fit. They don't have to adhere to a lot of district policies that are in the traditional public school world that, you know, a district office that oversees, you know, 30 different schools and says, okay, we're using the same system for all of these 30 schools. In our space, you know, where they're more independent thinkers and they have a lot more autonomy to decide on what systems and policies that they have in place. But with that, there needs to be greater accountability because there's not that one clearinghouse for all of those transactions. and I think that having you know, systems and policies and procedures in place, and again, going back to our uh, software discussion of, of tech solutions for scalability, I think having a platform that is that clearinghouse for all of the transactions really holds people much more accountable. And when things are all in one place, it's easy to find when people will start asking questions. Because all of our schools, regardless whether they are a traditional district school or a public charter school, 
have to be good stewards of, of public dollars and their public tax dollars. And people have the right to know how that money is being spent. And I think the public also needs to know that there's controls and accountability in place for all of these dollars that flow to any of our schools. And our schools need to really take this control seriously and they need to exercise accountability at every level so that they can put more dollars into the classroom. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that accountability piece is huge and having, you know, one place where all that spend data is held and people can trust that information is being accurately recorded uh, and easily shared is, is kind of like you said, you can show people, you know, what is going on with the finance. Because I think a lot of times it's easy to make assumptions when you're on the outside um, watching decisions being made, but it sounds like having that central place kind of helps you um, with your initiatives. Absolutely. And, you know, one thing I will say is that our schools, because they are public entities, um, at any given time, you know, any member of the public or another organization can ask for what's called a public records request. And having that information readily available in a format that's easily readable allows our schools to become credible resources and, and, and credible entities. If they can produce those um, reports that, that someone is asking for in a timely manner and have everything consolidated in an easy to read format, they become a much more credible institution. And I think that that's really important these days because if someone asks for a public records request of, of certain transactions and someone's just sending someone, you know, five different uh, Excel spreadsheets uh, with mishmashed data all together, it doesn't look professional and people will ha have a lot of doubts about the integrity of that data and having everything in one particular system, it's much more palatable by the public and, and trustful by the public. Absolutely. And I think the credibility of that information that you're sharing as well, like you said, if it's coming from one place, is a lot easier to take in and trust. I think one of the important things that I have to continually tell myself is that I am really the bridge between, you know, finance and, and the mission. And I think that that's important to, uh, to mention, especially being in the nonprofit world, is that, you know, that's the, that's the role of the nonprofit COO or CFO is really to connect the operational and financial components of an organization to the mission. And if you're ultimately trying to serve students, you know, you focus on what your strengths are. And, and my strengths have always been in that, you know, particular area of business and, and finances, but mm -hmm. I really enjoy the impact that it has on students. And so trying to connect those two worlds mm -hmm. is really how I measure my, my success. That's awesome. And I think it's great when you can kind of combine passions, but also areas of strength to have these unique positions where you're finding yourself able to do things that are meaningful to you, but you're also using these skills that you have. Absolutely. That's what keeps me going on a day-to-day -day basis. So it's yeah. Wonderful. yeah, that's awesome. At Procurify, we're very values-based and we try to live out our values on a day-to-day -day basis. And one of them is uh, fearlessness. So I'm wondering if you can tell me what is the most fearless thing you've done in your career so far? I was working in finance as a construction bond underwriter. And mm -hmm. I did that for approximately two years. Now, prior to that, um, this is when I had the experience at the American School in Switzerland. So I was in education and um, wanted to get some experience in finance. So I became this uh, financial analyst bond underwriter. And two years in, I realized that um, this is not exactly what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And so I took a big leap and 
the reason that I consider that, you know, fearless um, was because everyone else thought that it was a bad idea what I was doing. And I quit my job as a financial analyst and I moved to South America to start my own study abroad schools. And I didn't speak Spanish at the time. Um, I just wanted to explore the, the continent and ended up in Chile at the time and started my own schools down there because I was following my belief of the impact that it could have on students and what I learned from my experiences in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. But the reason that, that that example comes to mind is because, like I said, people thought I was crazy. They're like, what are you doing? I mean, you have a great career here. You can yeah. continue to advance in this company and you're quitting your job and moving to South America, which you've never been to before. And I was like, you know what? This is not just a wild and risky idea. It's a calculated risk and I'm pursuing something that I believe in. And so, mm-hmm. You know, I landed on my feet. I have no regrets at all about that. But at the time, you know, I mean, all of these uh, thoughts of fear and, you know, what can happen and failure go through your mind. But if you don't take those chances, then you're never going to succeed. I'm not afraid of failure anyway, because I think that failure is part of the the growth process. And so being fearless, I think, is an excellent quality. Um, But, you know, you need to be a calculated calculated risk. And uh, I consider myself a bold decision maker. I don't consider myself risky in any sense. So, but that's my example for uh, being a little fearless. It may have been stupidity at the time, but I'm going to call it fearless. So no, I, I love that. I, some of my favorite stories come from people who just go for it. I think that that's what the word fearless means to me is challenging yourself and getting outside of your comfort zone, like you said, because that's how we all grow and get better. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if you could tell us or describe uh, Arizona Charter School's spent culture in one sentence. If I had to describe it, um, I would say cautious. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is that we are very cautious with how we spend our resources because mm-hmm. they are scarce and they're hard to replace you know, if we don't generate revenue for ourselves and we don't have philanthropic revenue coming in, it's really difficult for us to survive. Mm -hmm. And so we need to be cautious. We need to spend in areas that are going to have the greatest impact. And so, you know, we are cautiously optimistic of of ways that uh, we spend our resources. Yeah. No, I I feel like that word applies perfectly. And I think the way you explain it and the impact that all your decisions have on so many um, stakeholders uh, mm-hmm. completely makes sense to me. Spend culture is a relatively new concept for most people. Where would you hope to see this go in the next five years? So I think that where I'd like to see it go in the next five years, especially for our organization, is a better understanding of some of the technology that we can leverage in order to get better at our practices. Mm-hmm. And I still think it's healthy um, to have a cautious spend culture, and I think that um, our staff understand that. But I don't think that we've done a good job here of, of, of creating some of the procedures and policies. We have some, of course, but I think that as this organization progresses and we continue to scale, that I want to make sure that all new employees really have the same spend culture that the current employees have. And the only way I see that that can be done is by having um, more policies and procedures and a platform in place in order to make sure that we're codifying everything that we want it to be. The most important thing for us moving forward is to making sure that the culture that we have and the you know, policies and procedures we have in place are sustainable for 
uh, I don't want to say future generations, but future future staff members, mm -hmm. um, because the system needs to outlive all of us here. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that I'm very conscious of. I mean, even when you're looking at company culture, um, how do you scale and how do you make it sustainable? And it goes the same way as spend culture. And I think you touched on it. It's got to outlive the people that are establishing it right now if you want that vision to continue long after uh, you're not working there anymore. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's really what is needed. And I think that that's how this, this culture is going to outlive any of us here. Thank you so much uh, for taking the time to speak with me today. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you better and your unique background and the amazing things that you're doing um, at Arizona Charter Schools. Yeah, no, thank you guys. I really appreciate the opportunity to have a conversation with you. And uh, I appreciate the questions because it makes me think about all of the operations and how we operate here. And so I think it's uh, important to to self-reflect on these things. So thank you for helping me do that. Of course, of course. Um, I'm just gonna quickly pass you over to Danny now just to wrap things up. Wonderful, thanks Nicole, appreciate You're it. You're welcome. Thanks for tuning in to this week's Spend Culture Stories podcast, sponsored by Procurify. If you'd like to learn more about your spend culture, take our quiz at spendculture.com.